Hey everybody, how's it going? Thanks for joining me this afternoon. I've got a great stream with a great guest that I think you're really going to enjoy. Sorry about the delay there, but due to some embarrassing boomerish technical snafus, uh, we did not go live when I thought we were going to go live, but we are here now and joining me today is the Prudentialist. Thanks for coming on, man. Happy to be here, Oren. Always a pleasure. So as you guys are very aware, the left is about destroying everything that is good and beautiful and true. They need to dismantle all of our norms, all of our foundations, all of our traditions, all the things that kind of give us identity and meaning and value so that they can rearrange the world into their own utopian ideas. And of course, this means they go after foundational things like the family. They've been doing that, of course, for a very long time. They started Picking at the edges, they've been moving closer and closer, and now they've finally reached the core here as we get a article on preferring biological children and how it's immoral. Uh, so obviously, uh, we're going to be de uh, diving deep into this idea and explaining kind of why the left is approaching this issue in this manner. But before we do that, guys, let's go ahead and hear from today's sponsor. Universities today aren't just neglecting real education, they're actively undermining it, and we can't let them get away with it. America was made for an educated and engaged citizenry. The Intercollegiate Studies Institute is here to help. ISI offers programs and opportunities for conservative students across the country. ISI understands that conservatives and right-of-center students feel isolated on college campuses and that you're often fighting for your own reputation, dignity, and future. Through ISI, you can learn about what Russell Kirk called the permanent things, the philosophical and political teachings that shaped and made Western civilization great. ISI offers many opportunities to jumpstart your career. They have fellowships at some of the nation's top conservative publications like National Review, The American Conservative, and The College Thinker. If you're a graduate student, ISI offers funding opportunities to sponsor the next great generation of college professors. Through ISI, you can work with conservative thinkers who are making a difference, Thinkers like Chris Rufo, who currently has an ISI researcher helping him with his book. But perhaps most importantly, ISI offers college students a community of people that can help them grow. If you're a college student, ISI can help you start a student organization or a student newspaper or meet other like-minded students at their various conferences and events. ISI is here to educate the next generation of great Americans. To learn more, go to ISI.org. That's ISI.org. All right, guys, so let's go ahead and jump into the article we're looking at today. Now, this comes from Wired Magazine, and as with so many other cases, we have a, a case of the German cat here. Of course, Wired Magazine is supposed to be about technology, but hasn't been about technology in a very long time, uh, just like Rolling Stone isn't about music at all. Uh, in the total state, of course, every uh, outlet, every uh, you know piece of media is actually just another opportunity for the regime to kind of force propaganda down your throat. So in a magazine that has nothing to do with parenting or biology, we get an article about pushing a leftist agenda about dismantling the family because of course we do. Uh, now, uh, the uh, Prudentialist, before we get into this, I know a lot of people would kind of be surprised to see this, but I know you're not surprised to see this. We already did a discussion uh, kind of on Nick Land's idea that every disagreement is an opportunity to rule. And I think that's a really good thing for people to keep in mind as we watch the left attack the most fundamental aspect of families, which is, of course, their biological reality. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when there, there's discussions of liberation or abolition or deconstruction, it's always an opportunity to rule over things that are core units that establish hierarchy. Family, of course, being sort of the basic tenant in which all biological hierarchy kind of comes from. And if you can't have that, then, you know, that's what they have to attack. And that's the, the root vector. And I mean, we've seen this before in the past, you know, after the, the discussion over abortion had sort of been um, settled, at least in the Supreme Court with the Dobbs decision, you know, they were even angry about people wanting to adopt children. You know, they were like, well, we think people who want to adopt are, are you know, traffickers or colonizers or racists. And now the same thing. And well, if they can't go for those people, they'll go for those that actually want children of their own, because to them, you know, they'll they'll see it, you know, but behind every liberal is like an esoteric, you know, reader of all sorts of things of like the Third Reich, where they'll be like, oh, man, you want to have children of your own? That's blood and soil right there. We can't have that. So, um, yeah, as I've said many times before on this show, or and I'm, I'm not surprised when the left wants to go after things that are things we take for granted. Absolutely. So Leo Kim is the author here. And of course, that the whole uh, article is preferring biological children is immoral. Let's go ahead and dive into the first paragraph here and we'll get a little deeper into why the left is going here. So recently, a close friend of mine uh, told me how much he wanted to be a parent one day. I asked if he'd consider adopting. Suddenly he became hesitant, pausing before admitting that he'd like to have children who are biologically related. His answer wasn't unusual. In fact, it was probably my question that was odd. His brief, brief equivocation felt significant, signaling a uh, peripheral awareness that his answer had become more complicated. Now, at the outset, I want to go ahead and say that obviously adoption, I think, is a very noble thing. I think it's a it's a big self-sacrifice that some people make. I have cousins uh, who were adopted. I've had uh, friends who adopted children. They love them dearly. I mean, it's a it's a close bond. It's an it's an important thing that people do. But of course, it's not always the norm. It's not and it's never going to be the norm by definition. Uh, it's something that a lot of people who don't have the option to have children or, you know, have different things in their lives pop up. They end up going that route and God bless them for doing so. But I think the thing that we need to focus on at the beginning is that when the left brings up things like this, they don't actually care about it. As you already pointed out, the left isn't always really uh, big fans of adoption. In fact, a lot of times they treat it as something that is that is nefarious. I don't think in general the left wants people to have families. And I think that this question is disingenuous. It's just a wedge to create a different uh, conversation. And we can tell because, uh, you know, the, the author highlights how their question was, in fact, the odd thing. But they were happy to see it create this moment of doubt in someone that they're pretending they care about, someone they call a friend. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, to, to them, I mean, we're, we're going to see it in this article and we've seen it before that, you know, that the, they'll come up with some moral justification that they don't believe in, but they know that you believe in it. Um, we, we know that children are sacred. We know that the sanctity of life is sacred. Our enemies know that. And so to target it at the most core root level, the natural human, just, you know, the, the bonds and creation from God that we have to love our, our own children and to, to have priority over them and our family and that we would do anything for them. Well, to them, they know that that's sacred and they have to attack it. Back to our article here. For most of Western history, it was a given that a parent would want their children to be their direct progeny. In fact, for most of history, that's what child meant, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's not just a desire. It's literally, that's just what the word child meant. It was the default because 
it was a natural law. A child's biological uh, uh, proven, uh, provenance was believed to ground the parent-child relationship in a hardwire, uh, hardwired irrevocable bond. If anything, it was morally preferable that your child would be directly related to you since this was uh, thought to provide a healthy foundation for growth and self-actualization. So again, yeah, like these are just, again, the things that would be natural that would occur normally. You really need a a larger level of kind of social creation in order to have any other arrangement uh, when it comes to parents and child. Those things can exist. Again, I think that uh, adoption is noble in, in most circumstances when motivated properly, but that, you know, those were always built on top of the natural authority that's created through the parent-child relationship, but that natural bond, that natural authority, that's what the left is looking to dismantle here through this language. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and here we go. The thing you should always watch out, guys, for the bioethicist. Uh, again, bioethicists are the least ethical people in the world. They are the least moral people in the world. Anytime you see someone with the title bioethicist, like keep them away from your children, keep them away from your neighborhood, uh, you know, run them out of town. Uh, don't let them move it. Like bioethicist is uh, is just a, a title that should uh, that should be seen as one of the it's right up there with journalist and, uh, you know, used car salesman as things that should warn you about the character of somebody. Uh, bioethicist David uh, Vellman expresses this line of argument when he writes the that no knowledge of one's biological parents is a basic good on which people rely in pursuit of self-knowledge and uh, identity formation. Okay, well, maybe I, I spoke too soon. He actually said something true there. So sorry about that, David. I didn't I didn't mean to dunk on you so hard, though I, I fear that your bioethicist uh, uh, title still still makes you inherently bad person. Sorry, that, that's that's just my my intuition there. Uh, yet this prioritization of biological inheritance, biologism, as some call it, no one calls it that. No one. No one. When it, whenever a journalist says, as some say, as some call, as some do, that, that's just them inventing a piece of newspeak right then and there. So, so that's just a piece of newspeak. Don't use it. Don't give it any credence. Uh, don't repeat it. Uh, don't reference it. Uh, the, the only reason we're going to acknowledge it here for a moment is to notice that it's uh, newspeak and, and then move on. Previously, if you gave birth to a child, it was simple. It was a simple certainty that they were genetically related to you. The biological fact was in uh, was inextricably linked to their existence. Over the past few decades, however, practices like gestational surrogacy have shown that this need uh, that this need not be the case. Evolving family structures, advances in uh, fertilization and embryonic screening technologies, and changing moral sentiments have contributed to a growing revelation of this deceptively simple preference. Uh, so there was nothing deceptively simple, nor was it a preference. Right, right, right. Ridiculously, this was just something that was inherently true, and they're hoping that by like creating some form of technology, they can completely deroute this truth from human nature. But that doesn't go away simply because we've developed something that fundamentally alters the way that humans did and should, you know, be created and be related to each other. A growing revaluation of deceptively simple preference. Deceptively simple preference. The same biological urge and necessity mankind has had since Adam and Eve were, you know, shacked up. But sure, why not? Let's let's go ahead and change. 
thousands of years of tradition, norms, and whatnot. I mean, this is a big reason why when children, like, you have to break it to them softly if they are adopted, because if they do not know, you are shattering their entire worldview. Um, it's the same thing when you have surrogacy, which already brings in a whole other person in to have the host of the children, who is the person who's going to experience those maternal pangs, because that was inside of them for nine months. Like, there are social consequences to these additional, you know, technological innovations we have to fertility. Some of them, yes, can overcome great things. Other times, you're creating social problems that are now get turned into wedge issues to deconstruct and to eliminate the most basic and precious thing that we have, which is the ability to create life. Exactly. And, you know, they're, they're counting on this. Again, this, this is a preferable situation for them because it destroys natural authority. Again, there are those outlier cases. And, you know, there all are these situations in which people will have children. They will, uh, you know, take on the authority of the parental role in lieu of other situations. That That's always been true to some extent. And that might be more, you know, true now than ever. However, the fundamental relationship is grounded. The authority of that relationship is grounded in that biological, essential biological connection. Even if that's not true across all of these uh, experiences, it is the thing that creates the natural order on which people are kind of resting and, like you said, create identity. So when that isn't the case, it needs to be handled gingerly. It needs to be handled with care. It doesn't need to be exploited by cynical people who are looking to destroy any barrier to their own power, any desire for them to use the state to wedge families apart. But it's very clear that that is what's happening here. So once again, back to our article. Once we begin to disentangle what is truly possible from what we simply assumed was necessary, we are forced to look at this natural preference with fresh eyes. And this is true, right? So, so there, there, there is unfortunately something that does need to be acknowledged even by, I think, those who would oppose what's happening here. When these technological advancements occur, people will always look to use them in this manner, right? And this is something that people who see themselves as conservative or reactionary need to acknowledge about the nature of technology. You cannot avoid these questions once this technology is created and it's available, which is why people might need to be more intentional about how technology is created or how it's allowed to be used. Or if we're not intentional about how that's happening, we need to at least, as people who might oppose different aspects of how that's going to be exploited, we need to be prepared with arguments, safety measures, and uh, you know, kind of a, a, a mental, spiritual, and political awareness about how that's going to be deployed once that technology exists. Yeah, and you look at this, and it's it's, it's certainly a differentiation from the usual progressive safetyism, that sort of Rawlsian idea that like if we make sure that the like the world is safe, we can re reduce risk, which goes back to John Stuart Mill. You know, all of a sudden, right, like this leads us to talking about things like this, that well, actually, you know, the ultimate safety is to ensure that like people don't get left out and that the family must be destroyed and that we don't prefer biological, um, you know, children over our own. And in doing so, like we're only creating these, like they call it a vestigial remnant of a different epoch. We're in, how is it vestigial of every human society on earth, not just Western society, prefers that. There are very few outside of maybe uncontacted tribes that have 
no preference for their own biological children and try their best to protect them. Like that is something that sort of separates man from beast in that regard. And here they're like, well, because we've accelerated technology or because we have these new technological innovations, which only really exist in, you know, primarily first world developed countries, we can throw out the family. And in turn, we're, we're you know, almost being is we're trying to just create this some kind of techno utopia. We're trying to create some kind of techno messianic materialism, and it's not working out because to root yourself from what has made you a society throughout thousands of years, you're not saving yourself from anything. If anything, you're deliberately destroying it. But that's me giving way too much credit to these people because they do want to destroy the family. They do want to ensure that you don't have children that are your own. And if you have children, well, then by God, they're going to try their best to transit. And I, I want to point out that we once again have this uh, very convenient uh, kind of uh, look at biological determinism, right? So born this way, you know, you, can, you can't help what you're choosing. You know, you have a biological drive uh, to be drawn to specific people, you know, when it comes to your sexuality. They're even trying to move this now, of course, to child predation. You already see this move on the left, of course, and in, in, in advancing this argument that, well, People who have this biological, biologically determined thing, they have to be, you have to be sympathetic towards them. Of course, they do this with, addic with addiction and all other things. However, it turns out biological determinism doesn't exist here, right? And doesn't have to be considered. So that, that's the very convenient thing about biology and, and its, uh, its you know, uh, ability to determine our behavior. It exists when it's convenient to the left to advance the arguments of the left. It disappears the minute that it doesn't. There's no need to understand uh, why it, it's it's simply a tool. There, there's no science behind it. It's all simply ideological preference. It's a shield to advance thing that something that can be discarded the minute that you want to advance something else. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, back to our article here. Uh, what we find is that when contextualized uh, amongst other modern ethical norms, oh man, that that phrase is doing all kinds of terrible work. Uh, this preference can feel downright ancient. Uh, again, assuming that that would be bad, a vestigial remnant of different uh, epoch. Yeah, you kind of you already uh, uh, referenced this here. A fossil no longer animated by the same moral intuitions that gave gave it gravity in the past. In fact, many of the arguments that might have been made in favor of this prejudice run precisely counter to other changing attitudes towards uh, towards parenting, uh, parenting, family, and the role of biology in culture. So again, we see the fact that. Uh, this is something that can just be discarded at a whim. We've already unspooled basically everything else around this aspect of, of family, the authority of the parent, the connection between mother and child, uh, father and child, uh, the sanctity and protection of all of those connections. We've already dismantled everything around that. And so now that we managed to uh, dismantle all of those things, now we can come for the core of it. Now we can get down to even the nuts and bolts, the facts. This is the same thing again that happened with gender and 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 sex, right? Is we can destroy uh, all of these things around the idea of gender roles, the idea of societal roles, the truth of the difference between men and women. We can dismantle all of those things. We can call them social constructs. We can break those apart. And, you know, a lot of these these uh, these uh, new atheist types, uh, the these IDW types, they were on board for all of that dismantlement. They're on board for all the waves, waves of feminism and all all the destruction that came before. But then it gets to the biological and they're like, oh, wait, how can you how could we possibly got here? They'll have the same level of confusion here. Right. They'll be equally confused. How could we possibly gotten to the basic biology of it? Oh, well, easily 
because you dismantled everything that came before and this is the only thing left and there's nothing about science or biology or any of this other stuff that the left actually held sacred they just had to eat through all the outer layers before they could get to the core yeah absolutely and i think that that's sort of the the key thing to realize is that they can't seem to put two and two together or more importantly i think it's more of the fact that they don't want to put two and two together because mm. there's a sort of a sunk cost fallacy when it comes to sort of these ideologies and it's that we've already witnessed the argumentation about biological determinism or essentialism or even acknowledging that there are certainly biological differences between people. We saw this when it came to women in, in the transgender movement, you know, uh, women that were probably all for the liberation of the idea of womanhood or what it means to be a female and have that identity be liberated from its core biological root. And now all of a sudden they realize like, hey, why do all of these trans people hate women? Uh, that that's sort of the same issue that they have there, and we already witnessed that, where they'll call them, you know, trans exclusionary or whatever, for because the, they acknowledge basic biological realities of what makes a woman a woman. And in that respect, we're seeing it go to its next logical conclusion. Well, if we can already separate the biological aspect of what defines male and female, well, then great. The next thing that comes from that is the aspect of family and identity. And when they talk about these technologies, you know, they're already trying to push the advancement of of womb transplants and things like that in the West. And then you get the most insane people, delusional, radical people that will tell you, yeah, I want to have a womb transplant so I can abort something. Like that's the level of what we're dealing with here behind all these kinds of articles is that regardless of what this person actually thinks, it doesn't matter because it will enable the kind of radicalization and utter depraved destruction of family and civilization and the good because the people that want to benefit from this the most are people that shouldn't be near an elementary school. Well, and, and this is always how every totalitarian regime wants to do this, right? Like we can go all the way back to, to you know, Plato's Republic and the need to, to take children from their parents, right? If you want to have, if you want to create the utopian structure, if you want to mold uh, society from the ground up, you have to destroy the most fundamental bond They've been trying to do it for many years, through for many decades. Uh, the the most notable one recently, like you said, has been the desire to like push trans rights into the family, into children, so that they can use civil rights law to destroy families, to destroy uh, the parents' authority over the child and how they're going to grow up. But now they're just going to go the the next logical step, which is which is pure to the biological root of the whole thing. Absolutely. At the heart of biologicalism, again, there are our new speak term here, is the question of whether it's permissible to consider a child's genetics when deciding to become a parent. Again, an interesting point that all of these things are, it's the destruction of every non-chosen bond, right? That, that's, the, that's the core of this. Every bond at every moment is chosen, which means every bond at every moment can be broken. The key is the destruction of all bonds not created by the government. And so something that was never a question, never a decision, becomes a question. And whenever there's a disagreement, there's an opportunity for the government to rule. Our, our, uh, our improving ability to genetically screen embryos and continuing continued development of assisted reproduction technologies has enabled uh, prospective parents to assess potential embryos for hundreds of traits and forced us to revisit a wariness around biological consideration in reproductive decisions caused by the horrors of state-sponsored eugenics. Though many of the genetic conditions being screened for are fatal, they begin to expand the net to encompass features like deafness and dwarfness, and despite skepticism and the possibility of eventually testing for traits like IQ and height, 
the desire is certainly there. All of this has given a sense of uh, urgency to the thorny issues reg uh, regarding how and to what extent biology should play uh, into decisions to have children. It is clear that these considerations will play some role in the future. So to be really clear, all of these things will be selected for if the technology exists, right? We already have seen how, uh, how sex-selective abortions were used in places like China with the one policy rule to eliminate a generation of women, right? Just, just massacred a generation of women that don't exist, a couple generations of women that don't exist, which is, which is creating a demographic, a demographic crisis of sorts in China due to this. So just because the technology exists, it will be chosen this way. Again, that's why you have to be careful. That's why you have to think about uh, and be intentional about the way that this stuff is implemented because it will happen. So even these leftists who are pretending like, oh, we're worried about the idea of eugenics. No, simply by creating this technology and using it as your own argument to disassociate biological connection between parents and children, uh, you're using it for your own purposes, but it will be used this way. If not in the United States, other places, it's going to happen. It's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. Yeah, I notice how it, when it comes to biological aspects of human life, it's always in that sort of Schrodinger's cat thing with the left. It's only useful as a cudgel for them. But if you point out uncomfortable aspects of society, whether you're, you're Murray talking about the, the bell curve as that was, you know, 30 years ago, or you're someone like Steve Saylor, like you're going to get in trouble for pointing out, you know, the, the obvious counterpoint to whatever leftist nonsense and dribble gets put out there. But then all of a sudden they shriek back and they'll tell you that that's not real or it's a social construct. It's an aspect of like colonial race science and we can't use it. But for them, it's always like, no, these things are very real and we're very concerned about it happening. And right. the net will just keep expanding. It's that safetyism because they don't want you to point out the obvious. They don't want you to acknowledge that actually, no, there are some very key things that aren't being addressed here because their newspeak doesn't allow you to talk about things like um, intelligence or, or height or weight, muscles, differences. No, we, we have to make sure that our our form of, you know, technological utopia can be achieved. And that means that we can't have you naughty racists around. Yeah, biological heredity, it turns out, is only only exists for the convenience of making the argument to destroy the family. It immediately disappears for all other for all other aspects of it. What, what an amazing piece of science uh, biological heredity uh, happens to be. That's a that's a very but but so many pieces of science have that amazing ability for the left. So uh, no, no surprise there, sadly. A few core beliefs that have already have already solidified. Again, one of the things you want to look for, guys, is when journalists just speak things into existence, right? This this is, uh, I believe this is uh, what uh, uh, Kofefi Annan calls the progressive passive voice, right? It just happened. It's just there. It just exists. Um, no, nobody, the, the, that consensus just, just was created out of nowhere. So uh, nobody voted on this. There was never actually any, you know, general understanding of this. They're just, speaking their own intentions, their own preferences into being and giving it the idea that it's already a consensus that formed out in the ether somewhere. Namely, we have converged on the idea that uh, that if biology is to be a factor at all, it should only be considered insofar as it prevents harm and suffering. Man, I've got, uh, I'm pretty sure they've got some ideas about biological harm and suffering that might not be uh, too popular. There's that uh, safetyism again, yeah. yeah. As uh, Laura Hersher puts it uh, at the MIT Technological Review, public opinion on the use of assisted reproductive technology consistently draws a distinction between preventing disease and picking traits. That is like, uh, I, 
I bet you that's going to disappear as soon as they figure out how to remove things like, I don't know, male aggression. Uh, studies like one uh, conducted by John Hopkins Genetics and Public Policy Center seems to indicate, seems one study seems to indicate, well, that's scientific and conclusive, uh, that this in, uh, intuition is broadly shared. Uh, <laughs> what does that even mean? I, you know, in a, in the post-COVID era, I'm surprised that we even got one study that seems to indicate something. Good Lord. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I mean, like, uh, this seems to indicate that this intuition is broadly shared. Yeah, people don't get really uneasy when it comes to, like, the social condition. People get really uneasy about, like, being, quote-unquote, eugenicists, whereas, you know broadly preventing disease into making sure that my kid isn't born with like Tay-Sachs disease or something, you know, all those really nasty rare genetic conditions, totally fine. But, you know, um, I like this last sentence that's on that last paragraph, yeah. you know, as we begin to veer into the gnarled territory of gene fetishes and optimization logics trodden by you. The only person here who's got fetishes is probably going to be the people asking like, can my kid be born trans or whatever? Like that, uh, it's not like, you know, I'm going to see a bunch of progressive families trying to get into MIT and being like, listen, we really want our baby to be a six foot three blonde Nordic blue eyed Chad. Like, that's not what's going to happen, because in today's society, it's like, actually, we need you to be the specific color of beige so he can get into all the schools thanks to diversity requirements. Like, that's this is where we're at. And we're and I say all these things and it sounds ridiculous, but this is the world that I live in. I we, we live in a I live in a clown show and I don't sometimes I just don't know what to say. All you can do is honk. Uh, yeah. All right. So if, if we accept this argument, then the relevant question becomes whether a child's genetic uh, provenance, uh, their biological resemblance to their parents, uh, prevents suffering. We can quickly begin to sense the difficulty in justifying the, uh, that it does. It's unclear that the, what sort of negative outcome is being avoided by opting for a genetically related child. This biological fact appears largely irrelevant to their well-being, especially when compared to, to those features, uh, all the diseases you just mentioned, that we do seem uh, permissible for consideration. Plot against the scale, prioritizing relatedness appears far closer to selecting for an arbitrary feature like height than selecting against a deadly uh, degenerative neural disease. So you're going to see this, guys. We're inching closer and closer. We'll get there. Don't worry. You already, I'm going to spoil it just because you guys already know the end of this. Um, a biological relation to your child is white supremacy. It's racist. That, that I know you already knew that's where this was going, but it's interesting. It's fun to watch. Again, we want to watch each step of this process so we can understand how it's getting there. So we start at kind of the, oh, it's just about adoption, right? It's just about adoption. And we watch how, how the wedge is used at each step to pry apart uh, kind of what, what they, you know, they try to try to create and make this a social construct, a nothing of value. Uh, here we can see the very clear attempt to say, Ooh, you don't want your kid to look like you, right? That's weird. Even though like the most common parental experience of all time is being like, Oh, look, he's got your eyes and her hair and his freckles and that nose and blah, blah. Like that is one of the most core experiences, the most natural experience of any parent of any human recognizing the, the you know the attitudes the 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 things that you transfer to your child that is is the the, the fact that having a child gives you the sense of perpetuity the continuity of being the great chain of being that passes from one generation into the next like all those things are incredibly normal natural desirable things they're they're the things that create family bonds 
but family bonds are the destruction, the thing they want to destroy. And so the best way to destroy that is to slowly but surely suggest at, you know, at the edges, at the beginning, that this is all about racism. And this is, this is where it, it starts in earnest. Like, you want your kid to look like you that's so weird that's so backward that's so parochial but what, what kind of what kind of strange thing that's that probably you know makes you sinister in some way yeah and i mean like this is where i the all articles like this tend to go is it's like look buddy you know you don't want your kid to look like you you know whether it's uh to progress like the writer's own fantasy or their own fetishes like it's just an example in which like no the the heart home and hearth are things that are bad it, it it's sort of this strange thing where you know the left in, in the united states and really in the western world it, it lives under this like specter it's it's haunted there's this hauntology of fascism this hauntology of white supremacy this haunt you're haunted by hitler in this respect and i mean curtis yarvin's written about this and called killing the ghosts but you know it really does say that like actually you know that whole blood and soil thing you know we we don't want that ever exist again we don't want you to have any relationship to your children and that's actually bad and we, it's not about adoption at this point it's about your destruction on a genetic level uh, quite quite literally they're, they're making that pretty explicit here so proponents of bio biologic our new speak uh might argue that these ties do in fact produce a significant relationship between parent and child that proves uh critical to their happiness yes in, in fact, that that's just so self-evident that no one ever thought it ever need to explain it up until now. But of course, that's the point, right? They, they want to have this conversation because they want to create disagreement. They want to create disagreement because they want an opportunity to rule. Uh, some like Vellum have claimed that uh, similarity to one's parents can impact overall well-being through the development of one's identity. Uh, yet the argument appears rather thin. No, again, it's super thick. It might be the thickest concept ever created about mankind it might be the 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 most uh self-evident uh observation uh the most uh you know endurable across all cultures across all peoples across all religions it might be the most enduring fact of human existence ever created but it turns out research and experts find that it might be thin yeah okay uh but rather uh has uh, our as research on adoptees has indicated this form of self-actualization doesn't stem from genetic uh, relatedness or gestational history, but rather from the parents' testament uh, uh, or treatment of their children. Through fa though family resemblance can certainly help children develop a sense of self, uh, the ethicist uh, Hina Ruli reminds us that this can just as easily be realized through the kind of resemblance that adopted children bear to their adoptive families. Uh, additionally, really notes, uh, it's not as if gestational bonds is the be-all end-all of motherhood-child bonds. Mother-child attachment is uh, in infant adoption occurs readily, and there is no difference in quality of attachment. Neither self-development nor fulfillment, uh, fulfilling parent bonds through uh, uh, appears uh, to necessitate relatedness. Uh, again, all of this is just ridiculous. It's obviously not true. Uh, again, Adoption, an amazing thing. And there are many people who are incredibly close, close to their adopted parents. Adopted parents, however, do, as the Prudentials already noted, have to work extra hard to mold that person, to grant them identity. They have to be very careful about the revelation of that information to instill the same level of love. Uh, the first thing that many adopted children feel is abandonment once they find out because they think that the parents who actually uh, you know, fathered or mothered them did not care for them.
And so that fact has to be addressed by the adoptive parents. Now, thank God that many people are able to still feel those bonds, right? But that is, but the idea that this is, uh, this is all just relative is insane. The very fact that a mother does carry their child has, and does, let's, let's be clear, risk their life, right? For, for men, you know, the battlefield was the most dangerous place throughout most of history. And for women, the birthing bed was the most dangerous place for women throughout history. You know, child, childbirth was often the cause of death. And so that sacrifice that women put themselves through to carry a child to term was a deeply significant thing, right? It was not something that was lost on the child when they, when they realized how often that act could end fatally for the mother. And so this fact is, in, is just inseparable from the value they feel in attachment to and worth they feel from their parent. Yeah, I mean, that's really the big thing here is, is that for a generation of progressives, and I mean, like we're in a different, I mean, there's always been sort of that antenatal bent in leftism. And I, I think especially now when you have quite a few millennials that are disproportionately childless, whether by design or by choice through social conditioning. And you've got individuals that have divorced themselves from home and have decided, really, I'll make my career my altar. This is really where I'm going to be in the future. You know, I can write things like this because I've never had a child that is my own. I have divorced myself completely from family. Uh, I, you know, I wonder if this author was adopted, you know, in that respect as well, because it raises the important question that like, this isn't, a new phenomenon for them about the destruction of the family is nothing new when you talk about leftism or progressivism, all sorts of isms in the world. But to me, it does indicate that like this is sort of a key moment for the progressive project because you have right now a cavalcade of people, these foot soldiers, these you know permanent managerial class types, these strivers that have sacrificed family identity. Um, of all kinds, not just family, race, et cetera, but all kinds of identity and including the, their ability to have children, to be part of this project, this sort of like, you know, kiliastic progressivism. And so they have to tell you time and time again that the things that are natural to you and I, the things that have been natural to the Western and all over, not just the Western world, but for all of humanity, relatively speaking, that's wrong. That's weird. That's strange. And then to do so, watch see and as you talked about it earlier we kind of gave the ball away but like what does this all go back to it goes back to white supremacy uh, it leads back to this rather fervent rhetorical position that like well you know it doesn't matter what race you are you don't want to be like those evil white supremacists do you i mean we see this with school shooters too like you know if the word white gets used it's meant to indicate something bad the idea that you want to have children that look like you or that you can say that is biologically my child, it's genetically related to me, I've continued the bloodline as far back as humanly possible. Well, you know, that makes you a Nazi. And that's where we're at. Like, this is the the ghosts that we're being ruled by. And for them, that that the, the dead guy who's dead in a bunker in 45, that's their Satan. They, they, they changed out the devil for a dead guy. And this is where we're at. And it's amazing because, like you said, that this argument is, is it's amazing that it wields that level of power, that that scare tactic, that that boogeyman, that that haunting wields that level of power. Because, again, like you said, this is a human universal. If there's any human universal, this is it. Right. Like, like, like people, you know, I, I'm not as, as huge a fan of universalism as many, many people. But if there's one 
universal human thing about human nature uh, that that has to exist. This has to be it. And so the fact that they're trying to scare everybody, not not just you know people of European ancestry, but everybody away from this the you know, this biological connection to family and children with the threat of that you might be labeled an evil Europe, you know european uh, an evil white person that's terrifying that that it has that level of power that they think they can use it as a cudgel even on people who should have no connection to this though that might be their primary target you know it, it is a, a, a club that they're swinging at everybody and the fact that they think that this can be a powerful tool against people of all races is in itself uh, an insane thing absolutely go on Oh, sorry. Did you have more to say there? No, I mean, really the only thing just to add there is this, that we saw that a little bit in the 2020 election too. you know, the Rio Grande Valley in Texas had swung for Trump, which historically has always been this like Hispanic Mexican blue belt inside of Texas. And they went red in 2020. And the next thing that we saw from the Washington Post in the coming days was multiracial whiteness. Right. Um, right. You know, so like, again, for, for the progressives, like white people, people of European ancestry, whatever they can call that, or even passing, you know, you're there that's the enemy. That's the enemy camp that they want you to never associate with. Yeah. It's, it's like Asians who want to get into college. They're suddenly white as well. It's uh, it's the, the minute that you're, uh, you're joining any of the, the, uh, the groups on the other side, uh, you, you suddenly use your, lose your magical status and become uh, one of the e- evil uh, multi-racial whites. All right. On the contrary, this biological desire reinforces norms that we are explicitly aiming to dismantle. well, it's nice when they say it out loud, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, it's always appreciated when it's formalized. Yeah, yeah. So, so here we are. Uh, so, so it, it just, just black and white. Uh, they, they are trying to dismantle these norms. They are trying to dismantle the family. They are trying to dismantle the, the authority of parents over their children. They're trying to dismantle the idea of a connected uh, society. Uh, they are trying to isolate people. They are trying to create hatred. They are trying to create the ability. Uh, of the state to, to wield power over every aspect of human life and separate uh, all individuals from each other in any bond that is not chosen explicitly by the state for these individuals. And uh, they just come out and say it right here. Uh, sorry, but uh, your, your desire to be biologically connected to your child, we are explicitly aiming to dismantle it because it allows other things that we are explicitly dismantling. It places undue emphasis on genetic similarity as a criterion for ethical relationships, running against our stated hopes to expand our nets of responsibility and care beyond borders of nations, ethnicities, and cultures. Something to say here, guys. Um, j- just to stop and be clear, uh, as, as Christians, we should treat other people um, with dignity. We should treat them with the love demanded by our faith. However, uh, those that claim to love everyone in this sense, love no one, right? You have to love the people next to you first. The commandment is not love everyone and ignore your neighbor, right? And so uh, the the idea that you can simply um, expand this net of love and dependency to everybody is just not true. That's just not how humans work. That's not how they organize themselves in communities. That doesn't mean that you don't still have a duty to offer uh, care and respect to the to others. But that does not mean that you simply dissolve the natural bonds between, say, a parent and child. 
And you can see the left's continual push of this doesn't stop at the nation. It doesn't stop at ethnicity. It doesn't stop anywhere. It's going straight to the family. That's always where it was going to go. And that is the danger of this rhetoric. That's always where they wanted to go. It's it, it it cloaks itself in the idea of trying to stop people from treating each other badly, depending on how they look. But it's always aimed at eventually just destroying the most basic natural bonds between something like a mother and their child or a father and their child. And we can see it right here. This idea that we're oh well, we have to get rid of biological relationships between uh, families because if we don't do that, we can't universalize our love for people. That means that they're never, you because you can't universalize it, that's never going to happen. They're just using it to wield power and destroy and destroy any care for each other. Yeah, it, it's a, it's been a rather wild turn of events in the last 150 years when considering, I think of Charles Dickens's Bleak House, you know, that telescopic sympathy, uh, what's her name, Mrs. Bletchley, I think has. And, you know, she ignores her, her, the plight of her own home, her own family, and her own children. And, you know, she focuses on those that are suffering abroad. And we've gone from telescopic sympathy to, from in this instance, you know, microscopic and genetic sympathy. You know, we, we, not everyone can be loved in a society that has erased its borders, erased its, you know, demographics. Um, you know, we have, to, we have to eliminate that on a microscopic and genetic scale. And that has to be done. I mean, this is the kind of, um, millenarianism that you know almost every Christian doctrine goes against. Um, so, like this is not something that you know anyone should be on board with as a Christian. This isn't something that anyone should be on board with if you're a conservative or someone on the right. But for them, you know, we've it's no longer about looking abroad. Uh, you know that telescopic sympathies changed because you brought everyone over, and now we have to make sure that everyone is the same. And it's going to probably look a lot more like a multi-racial, multi-ethnic Harrison Bergeron than it will be anything else. Because to these people, you know, the the adopted, and again, that's why I wondered if the author was adopted. Because, you know, if you've never had that experience of being loved by your own kin or, you know, being focused on by your own family or having that extended community where they care for you, then yeah, you're going to want to rage and destroy it. And I think a lot of it does come down to a, a semblance of envy or an ordeal of civility that, oh, these people have a functioning society and they've made it work and they have a model to make it work and they prioritize themselves and they focus and they have this individualistic attitude about it. But for them, it must be destroyed because they never either had it or B, they recognize that it works and it is a existential threat to their own progressive project. Back to our article here. Instead, it normalizes a certain conception of family that reinforces the parochial categories. So again, we're just calling the most basic truth about human nature parochial, right? Because there is no human nature. Everybody's a blank slate. Everybody must be made a blank slate so that the regime can reprogram you, can destroy all of uh, all of your normal ties, all of your natural ties, all of the natural uh, hierarchy that would normally assert, assert itself must be destroyed if we're going to invert that hierarchy, if we're going to completely rewrite society and bend it to our utopian will. So, I mean, yeah, it normalizes things because they're already normal, right? It's just, 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 just it's just a, a naked hatred for natural law. It's for a similar reason that bioethicists, uh, I knew we'd get to a bioethicist we didn't like. Uh, Hain, Hain Hutut Mwang, okay, have uh, pushed back against the desire for prioritizing racial sameness when selecting gametes for, assist for assisted reproduction. Arguing that this, pract this practice 
ultimately perpetuates a particular normative conception of family that uh, places undue emphasis on resemblance based on racial traits. Again, we were always getting here. Uh, using things like biological similarities to ground a parent-child relationship deconstructs the notion that parents should love their children unconditionally, undermining uh, what the scholar uh, Rosalind McDonald uh, uh, McDougall calls the parental uh, virtue of acceptance. So notice that once again, we, we've got um, what we've got here is the classic like Gnostic uh, move. Um, here we're we're going to take this principle that is rooted in something that is real and biological that you do have a duty to love your children, and we're going to completely remove it from its foundational uh, you know core it, it, the tr the truth that birthed it. And we're going to say that you must believe this, even if it's completely removed from that thing. So you must continue the desirable behavior, even if we've removed it from the thing that that bound you to that duty in the first place. And so now the state has the ability to force you. Right. This is basically what they're saying. We're going to force you to randomly select a, a child. Right. It's not even going to be uh, connected to you. And we're going to force you to love it no matter what even though you have no natural connection to it, even though the, the thing that birthed the principle on which we're trying to call for, call you forth has been completely separated from that. We're going to kill God. And then we're going to demand that you continue to be a Christian. We're going to kill uh, biological parenthood, but we're going to demand you to be a loving parent. We're going to, we're going to remove the organ and we're going to demand the function uh, while, while creating men without chess. This is, this is always the desire. Uh, and, and they just keep finding kind of new ways to produce this new ways to attack any uh, remnant of this in society. Yeah. And I, I, like I mentioned earlier, you know, like you have to, they want a society of cuckoo birds at this point, you know, like we're going to force you to raise something that's not yours. Sorry. You're gonna have to put up with it. What are you going to do about it? All these sort of, and this shows you the power of narrative, but also really, I think more importantly, the force of the gun, because, you know, say they got this right. And you don't want this. Well, you know, you're going to meet all the sort of social policing incentives to obey. Um, and the same reason why we see the ways in which tyranny emerges, not just by gunpoint, but by coercion and by cancellation, deplatforming and debanking with people um, from Nigel Farage, to even people that you may not like or politically agree with. That just tends to be the case here. And so, uh, you know, there's that force of both syringe and gun that says, actually, no, you're not going to have kids that look like you. Sorry, Whitey. Like that, that to me is what this person is just screaming for. And I, I'm noticing again, you know, very clearly from the uh, odious bioethicists, which if you ever see a bioethicist, it's the ethical thing to do to defenestrate them. Like this is the sort of society that you're, you're going to have to put up with. Whereas there is a um, ethnic agitation to say actually, you know, resemblance and sameness saying that he's got his mother's eyes. They find that evil and they don't want that for you and they don't want that for people that look like you. And they're making it very clear written out in this article. Like, I, I'm not being an extremist or anything. I'm just reading what these it's, people it's, are saying and drawing the logical conclusion of their thoughts. They literally you typed it out for you guys. There's there's no there's no need to, to do the conspiracy theory here. It's, it's just there in black and white. Moreover, the argument that this genetic tie has unique intrinsic value because of its natural steps into particular, uh, particularly dangerous territory. So again, nature is dangerous, but nature is also a justification. Remember, guys, like it, if, if if a desire is natural, then it's good if the left likes it. But if 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 a desire is something they don't like, then nature is dangerous, and of course, it's going to get us closer to you guessed it, white supremacy. 
It's precisely this argument that has been used for decades to discredit same-sex couples as unfit to be parents. So again, we have to dismantle uh, the idea of uh, heterosexual parentage in order to, uh, uh, to lift up the idea of homosexual parentage, right? That, that's in order to raise up one, we must hold down the other. Again, always where this kind of stuff was going, it's the natural evolution of this stuff. You have to desacralize uh, the, the normal, the natural, uh, the biological, if you're going to elevate that, which is not. And so, uh, you know, again, everything that the religious right said was going to happen in the 1990s uh, was, if anything, a, a understatement of kind of what was going to come. Uh, how could we see this coming? Uh, because it was obvious. Uh, everybody was warned about it. They said, you know, a lot of people said it would never happen. They made fun of the people who told them that it, that it would because those people are often in trailer parks, that kind of thing. But here we are with someone explicitly saying we have to get rid of biological parentage because we have to elevate uh, same-sex couples. An appeal to naturalism also easily leads into the what the bioethicists, man, these guys are everywhere, uh, calls a, a patriarchal prejudice. The idea, that, <laughs> of course, it's the patriarchy. Um, you know, uh, the idea that it's not only uh, natural for mothers to serve as primary caretakers because of their biological gestational relationship with the child. Language around uh, what is natural and unnatural should always be viewed with suspicion. Uh, ethnographic research of the uh, NA. Uh, yeah, oh, it's a, a tribe in the Himalayas, uh, do not have a social category for biological fathers, for instance, shows us that a concept as fundamental to us as fatherhood is not inevitable uh, product of human biology. So we found one tribe <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the Himalayas that doesn't have exactly the same uh, version of this as we do. Therefore, uh, fathers no real, right? Yeah, I'm just imagining the, the the typical sort of like soy jack pointing at something. See, we found one that disproves the norm throughout of all of civilized societies. Like, see, the this means that your your thesis is incorrect. We must destroy everything. We must. And I, you know what? I don't. I don't care what what I get called for. I I don't want to be them. Sorry, I like who I am, and I don't want to see my society be like, yeah, we're gonna live like these guys that have no concept of, of parenthood. Uh, patriarchy built the West, both pre-Christian and uh, post, you know, in our Christianity and post-Christianity. Patriarchy is great. It works. Uh, the concept of fatherhood is wonderful. And uh, these people are pointing to some obscure tribe in the Himalayas that until just 30 seconds ago, I did not know existed to disprove the idea that fatherhood is the way. If you want to be like the French and get rid of paternity tests because of their own licentiousness, fine. I get it. Let the French be French. But this is saying, no, we must re-engineer the entirety of society because you exist with your biological sameness and your communitarianism. That has to go away. And instead, you're going to be like these guys living far up in the mountains. And that's their, you know, and no one takes this seriously. I'm not taking it seriously because that justification is so thinly veneered that I just had to like scrape at it. And no, really, you know, if the mask comes off like they've already said, Nah, they just don't want you to have kids that look like you. They don't want you to be like fathers. We want you to totally rewire your entire social, you know, sociological, biological, and political upbringing to say you, you're going to be like these tribesmen now. You're not going to be grounded in anything that could organize a resistance to us. So, uh, uh, yeah, alighting the social phenomenon of parenthood with a biological phenomenon only sets us up to reinforce a dated concept of family at odds with our hopes for more inclusive ethics. Uh, our is doing a lot of work here. <laughs> just, 
maybe who who is desire for this uh, you know that ours apparently not, not at all but again once again just speaking it into being right just just willing the uh, the political opinion the public opinion uh, into being in real time uh we've also got some some climate doomerism here uh there are more pragmatic utilitarian reasons we might be opposed to biolog bio biologicalism uh, after all the desire for related children undermines the likelihood someone will adopt uh, they, they, yeah, because again, they're, I'm sure they're very worried about adoption. I want to skip down here a little bit because they talk about one more thing I want to hit on. Uh, they're just going to restate a lot of stuff here. Perhaps the most extreme form of this argument comes from antinatalists who roughly hold that not only should we adopt uh, when we can, but this is immoral to bring children into this world. So, yeah, they finally got to the point that, like, basically, it's immoral to have children because uh, my climate, right? We have to, you have to stop having children right now. Because otherwise, because life is meaningless, uh, the the world is nothing but suffering, and the climate is being destroyed, and so you must have uh, m must not have children right now. Otherwise, you're destroying the planet. I I don't I think that that speaks for itself. It, it, it really know? does. Yeah, we we knew that argument was coming. Uh, but 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 I just I'm just glad that they they just decided to stop by the nihilism thing here and and give it a swing. We we've thrown out every it's. You're, you're racist, you're sexist, it's the patriarchy, it's white supremacy, and now it's it's also the climate. And uh, it's it would all just be better if you weren't born. Not us. We're the good people. We're the journalists. We're, we're not we're not going to uh, shuffle off this mortal coil in order to save the planet. But you, uh, the, the you know, the chuds out there, uh, stop stop having the babies. Um, so we're, we're going to wrap it up there, guys, because they just kind of repeat themselves over and over again. It's a little more about why uh, it's evil and white supremacists. Uh, uh, yeah, there. Th this part right here. I'll just read this real quick so we we can get this in before we go to our questions here. Uh, decentering genetics should have also also have repercussions that ripple out far beyond the family unit. Genetic provenance uh, has long been used as a tool to construct and hold white hegemony. Remember, only white people want to have children that are biologically related to them. Uh, very interesting. You you have you ever seen the clip of Muhammad Ali talking about this? I don't know if you've ever seen that clip where he gives the interview. Um, no, I haven't. Yeah, Muhammad Ali goes on like a 15 minute rant that like kind of blows away uh, like the the TV host is talking about uh talking to cuz they he just has no idea what to say cuz there's this famous black guy and he's just saying like yeah, of course you should only have uh you know uh children with people of your race. Like of course you want your children to look like you. Like of course you and like and the guy just doesn't, you know, he's just awkwardly and he's like uh and Muhammad Ali's like what kind of idiot wouldn't know that? And like the guy is just like, I uh, like he just freezes up. And so like pretending like this is just a, a white thing, like white people invented this idea um, is, is just uh, adorable here. Uh, but, uh, oh, sorry. I went to the article link there uh -oh. by accident. Okay, there we go. Uh, but uh, think of a, uh, think of this as the legacy of the one drop rule that was erected around uh, whiteness around logic of ancestral purity the desire uh, uh, for biological ties in many ways can easily legitimize a racially infected uh, inflected obsession with genetic history so again like this is all but uh you know uh, the notion of racial purity is foreign to black folks uh that's interesting people should ask oh racial, really racial really? dolls all about that 
Uh, how, how does what are what is Rachel Dalzal's uh, uh, experience with that notion? That that's very interesting. Yeah, five minutes on Black Twitter, and they'll tell you don't hate <laughs> white people. You know, yeah. like and also like this is a, the one drop rule of white racial hegemony. Yeah, tell me how much the Japanese really want you to marry a Korean woman. Like, right? It, it's it's so, or Jewish people want you or, to marry. Yeah, or Jewish. Of that, yeah, yeah it's a, or Jews wanting to marry outside of like the outside of their own group. Like, yeah, I mean, like it's it's blatantly obvious that this is you know, all the rhetoric is just targeting white people. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's insane that they think that by putting this in the lens of that, they could even spread that to other, to other races and pretend like that's not something that, that uh, again, a human universal for like just having uh, again, for just uh, having biological children is, is some somehow a, a weirdly white thing and doesn't, doesn't apply to anybody else. All right. So that said, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Like I said, there's just kind of, uh, restate themselves over and over again. We'll, we'll just kind of be repeating the same the same points here uh, if we continue the, those last few paragraphs. So let's go ahead and pivot over to the questions of the people. But before we do that, Prudentialist, uh, what should people be looking for from you, sir? Uh, sure. So thanks again, always for having me on, Orin. You can find me at findmyfriends.net slash theprudentialist. You can also find me on Substack. It's just theprudentialist.substack.com. I have a new article out on science fiction um, with a little bit of James Blish looking at the 2015 movie The Martian. And then every Thursdays at 2.15 p.m. Eastern, I have a show called The Digital Archipelago with our good friend uh, Gio Panachetti, where we cover the news, digital and internet culture and history. So be sure to tune into that on Thursdays. All right, Creepo Rudo here for ten dollars. I get these people. Uh, I get these people see everything through class, but it seems like this guy doesn't even know what a child is. Uh, is that the next question for modernity? What is a child? Uh, that will certainly be the question when they're talking about uh, you know consent. <laughs> yes, that will be the next question. In fact, it's already the question that they're desperately trying to ask. Unfortunately, uh, yeah. very terrifying. But yeah, I think that is that is the question that's going to be up on the block. Uh, Simplar here for $5. Anytime someone says risk reduction, read I'm evil and want to control you. Yes, 100%. Safetyism is a desire to smother all individual or community agency uh, and put people under one unified rule. Uh, again here, sir, thank you very much for $5. Oh, you were born that way. Then it sounds like you need to be born again. Uh, yeah, again, the, the very Christian notion that the, the things that you are uh, desirous of, the, 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 the nat some of the natural desires you have aren't healthy, aren't good. Um, and so, the, you know, sometimes those things uh, are things to be resisted, but sometimes they're also uh, part of uh, kind of the way that God has ordered society. And the way to understand that is, you know, it turns out that they, there's a whole book about it, you know, that you can kind of read and understand, uh, you know, how, how you should understand those relations to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Mike Oxlong here for $20. I've come to believe that creating demonic dialects such as uh, the one in the article is a way that midwit journalists and academics pretend to be intelligent. Ever since this reeks of Reddit skepticism top stream. Well, thank you very much, sir. And yes, you are, of course, correct. I mean, by creating this situation, they try to show that they can dismantle things, that they can get around ideas, uh, that they are smarter than, than those that came before them. They're also creating uh, that that uh, dialectic that divides, that creates the opportunity to generate power and allows them to advance their narrative by destroying uh, kind of all authority that came before. Yeah, I mean, uh, every sentence of this reeks is Reddit skepticism. I mean, just bully nerds. Any 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 progressive nerd you see, just just bully them. Uh, this is what's required of you. Reassertion of the natural hierarchy. Yes. 
Donnie DeWitt here for $4.99. Iron Law of Biolimitism, the more dysfunctional and abnormal a group or concept is, the more left, uh, the more the left likes it, the left is the glue that unites them. Yeah, it's it's the it is again this desire to destroy natural hierarchy, to destroy the natural uh kind of uh existence of a society, invert it to create power, to elevate those that otherwise might not be on top. This is this is kind of a core function of the left. Uh, and to do that, they must collapse all existing structures, all spheres of authority that would have been left over from kind of that more natural, uh, uh, you know, uh, way of life. And uh, this is certainly a example of that. Yeah, Spandrel stay winning on that one. Yeah. Yep. Uh, beyond the pale here for five dollars. My wife and I are having our first kid in a matter of weeks. See. Uh, uh, cheers, gentlemen. Well, uh, congratulations, man. Really appreciate it. And. Uh, big congratulations to you. Best of luck to both of you. Uh, uh, you know, uh, you might not get some sleep here for a long time, but I feel like, uh, uh, you know, uh, congratulations are most certainly due. Uh, you are you are striking out against uh, Wired magazine, and that's a good place to be. Yep. All right, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Of course, uh, thank you once again to the Prudentialist for putting up with my boomer tech skills and uh, and sticking with me today. Uh, make sure that you're checking out everything that he's doing. And of course, if this is your first time on the channel, make sure that you go ahead and subscribe. If you'd like to get these broadcasts as podcasts, make sure that you go over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe to the Oren McIntyre show. And when you do guys leave that rating, leave that review, uh, make sure that you go ahead and uh, uh, do the notification thing and everything on YouTube as well. Cause some people are missing uh, these broadcasts when they come up. I want to thank everybody for stopping by. And as always, I'll talk to you next time.